0: I'm 23 years old right now. I think at some point it's going to click here in the very near future where I think I'm just going to skyrocket and just take over.
1: You're doing a lot better than most 23-year-olds, that's for sure. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, you seem to be more knowledgeable than a lot of people even doing YouTube videos. Hey, guys. Today we've got one of the latest and up and coming and most popular streamers out today. He's already gone viral with a video with over 500,000 views, and he's the creator of Next Gen Poker, the Next Gen Poker show where him and his friends are bringing you along to show how they become rich and show all their mistakes and whatever other uh, crazy stuff they're up to. Kuchyara, yeah.
0: Nice.
1: Thank you Kuchyara. so much for the introduction.
0: Okay. Yeah, gentlemen, right. it's Frankie C to make it easy. <laughs> That's why I don't have All Frankie right. Kagera in the in there. Um, but yeah, thank you for the introduction. I really appreciate it and happy to be
1: here. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the show, a little bit about yourself, actually, because you and I I mean I, I know a little bit about you. Um I know that uh you're a poker vlogger and you're you know grinding it up. And uh, you guys, are on your way to becoming millionaires, or maybe you're already a millionaire. I don't know. Why Don't you fill us in a little about with some background info?
0: Yeah, I'll start with the latter. Not not quite there yet. Um, I actually started Next Gen Poker, the YouTube channel, just because I really fell in love with poker while I was in college. Um, I remember watching World Series of Poker as a kid on ESPN, but never really learned about the game until my first ever $10 cash game buy-in at my fraternity pool table. And that's where I met two of my best friends who goes by Rosie Angelo and... We really just, the very first time we ever played poker at a casino at a 1-2 game, we're like, this is going to be interesting to film. Um, as you know, a lot of the popular poker content creators, you know, they're older, they're in their 30s, maybe 40s, um, which isn't old, but um, older than me. And I was like, okay, 21 years old. I think that'd be really cool to document my journey, show all the mistakes of being a brand new poker player because I knew I wasn't the best player back then. And even now, as I've played um, for about, four years at this point uh, I'm still not the best player and I still think that the journey of all the mistakes uh, all the challenges the the losing the tilting all that uh, could be told in a fun story and I've always loved YouTube and I thought YouTube was the best place to tell that story uh, and thankfully my buddy Rosie had some video editing experience so actually just three years ago we actually just hit our three-year anniversary we started this side hobby uh, and we called it the next generation of poker next gen poker for short Uh, and this has kind of turned into uh, what was a side hobby into my full-time gig, and I make all my money um, to pay the bills just from the YouTube uh, sponsorships and promoting um, all the media sources that I do, and then I play poker for fun, which I think that especially with parents who um, aren't as familiar with poker. Um, I'm sure a lot of people can relate with that. Parents who who don't want their, their kid who just graduated with a very nice engineering, very expensive engineering degree to go into being a full-time professional poker player. Well, I kind of have a different avenue, a different way to spin the story. And I can say, well, you know what I am? I'm a marketing specialist. I, I'm a content creator. I'm an influencer. I, and that's how I make my money. And then uh, if things go well in the poker world, great. That's an extra bonus to, to my yearly income.
1: Cool. Well, you've kind of done, actually, you've done kind of what I think would be a bit of the hard part. I would think that it's kind of hard to make quite a bit of money from YouTube to pay the bills. Like, from my experience, I mean, it sounds like there's money on YouTube, but it's very, it's still quite top heavy. There's not a whole lot of like, it's not very much of an meritocracy. Whereas if you poker to be a lot closer to a meritocracy, it's, you know, not as like structurally. You know top heavy but uh i would just think it's quite hard to make money from youtubing enough to pay the bills especially considering you have to like pay people to do all this content you got to figure it out and uh you have to pay someone to edit or you have to be a really good editor yourself it's like all this shit um yeah. I, I i can tell you i'm not making any money from from this i'm a i'm a recreational youtuber uh, well,
0: let me elaborate a little bit on on how uh, making money as a YouTuber goes and the best way to go about it. Because you can make YouTube videos and make absolutely no money, but you have to kind of put your entrepreneur hat on and, and kind of find the best ways to negotiate uh, views into actual dollar signs. Uh, and just to put it point, point blank simple, only a few poker vloggers actually make what would be enough to make a full-time salary off YouTube views alone. And YouTube views is just the AdSense dollars that YouTube pays you to get a certain number of views. And I could probably name four creators that can do that. Uh, Brad, Andrew, uh, Rampage, and Mariano. Because the the threshold that I think that's kind of the number that you need to hit is over 100,000 views per video. If you start getting over 100,000 views per video, then you can start putting um, some money in your pocket to really pay some editors and and what we did to start and what i would tell anyone that wants to start a youtube channel i mean slightly different for you since you're a very well-established poker player i would have a little bit different advice to you than what I'm about to say. But to new people that want to start YouTube, you got to do it yourself um, because the money's not going to come in immediately. Um, it's not going to be profitable the first six months. Um, even if you're a really good storyteller, you got to go through the the trials and tribulations. Um, you got to learn how to give views and, and what the people want to see and the best way to market it. Because even if you have a good video, if you don't package it well, Um, well, you're not going to get the views. And and the views come 80% from a good title and thumbnail. So the way that I have leveraged NextGen Poker's um, views into money is working with brand deals. And um, the big kind of aha moment for me and and the one that I was able to leave my engineering consulting full-time job to take this full-time was a deal that I made with uh, a local card room in Dallas, Texas. And They signed NextGen Poker Mm. to be exclusive to their poker room in Dallas. It's a very competitive market. And they said, we only want NextGen Poker to film videos at our place. And if you do that, we'll give you this sum of money. And that was like, okay, yes, I could finally take this hobby of mine full-time.
1: Okay, that's very interesting. Um, It seems like so far, you're actually kind of giving quite some advice to people who might want to be content creators rather than poker players i mean maybe you can give good advice for both in fact because you have a bit of experience on both avenues i mean i do think that that becoming a youtube star is like maybe even a youtube creator is kind of also now more and more of a viable option with you know the the workplace being flooded with people with degrees and it's just being really hard to get like a real job with degrees like I, even i i imagine even ai has been hurting like the engineering space and all that. It's very hard to get a job these days that's any good. Um, and I do think a new avenue is really opening up for YouTube creators, especially if, you know, you can teach people to actually learn how to be entrepreneurs. That's a very powerful asset because that that's something that, like, can't really be replaced. I mean, you know, you can't really teach an AI to become an entrepreneur. Uh, I mean, not really. Like, I mean, a little bit, maybe, but it's going to be a minute before that happens. And the whole thing that you said, I didn't know even that this was an option to become exclusive with uh a like card room in Texas. Like, I had no idea this was an option. Do you want to talk more about how you're making money without getting like a 100,000 views for video? Because that's a very high threshold.
0: Yeah, I, I guess let me go back to where Next Gen Poker kind of had... Um, as the most blunt way to put it, but the way that my YouTube very successful friend put it, we had our our, our erection, and, and that came from uh, the first viral TikTok we ever posted, and it actually was funnily enough the first TikTok we ever posted. Um, it was the uh, very first poker video to be put in under sixty second format. Instead of posting the entire highlight of the session, we just posted one hand with pocket aces posted at 8 p.m. I remember it on a Saturday night and we woke up the next morning and had a million views. And that's oh, when we had okay. the aha moment where we were like, okay, we need to start posting these YouTube shorts. And we were the first ones to get into the market on YouTube. And th- perfectly timed YouTube to compete with TikTok opened up a section of YouTube called YouTube Shorts. And then those videos it has to be less than 60 seconds. That's the criteria. And it's just like TikTok. You can just kind of scroll, scroll through and you don't have to search anything on your YouTube homepage. You just scroll and it popped up. And The algorithm being so complex and so smart, if you watch my video for a certain amount of time, my next video I post will be on your feed. And I think YouTube content creators will find this number very interesting. We had a video that had 140% retention rate, which means not only did the average viewer watch it 100% of the time, they actually rewatched it for about another four times of
1: the time. And that video hit 15 million views. Well, Okay. That's pretty crazy. I mean, I think that that's monetizable, like fifty fucking million million views. Um, yeah, I happen definitely. to know that. I happen to know that um, gambling and and uh, gaming is hot right now. As far as um, it's on trend or it's rising currently in in the YouTube market, it's it's good for that reason. Uh, that's really interesting. So, did you make much money from that? I didn't even know yes. about this.
0: Yeah, So uh, a fifteen million view short. Um, you're gonna laugh. Uh, uh, paid me under a dollar. 85 cents around uh, because the (laughs) YouTube, yeah, uh, the YouTube shorts, uh, the way that it works is, uh, especially in the very beginning days, they had no advertisements around that part of their space and now they do have ads. Um, but it pays a very, very limited amount. But what you do is you, you leverage the, the views that you're getting um, with brands, and then you put little watermark logos in, in the, in the TikToks, and those TikToks getting millions of views now are bringing eyes to the sponsors that wants to create it. So you aren't making money from YouTube itself, but you're really making it from the brands that you work with, which is why I say you have to put your entrepreneur hat on. You have to make some connections. I mean, people will email you, and we get hundreds of emails. Uh, every month just from people trying to work with us but you just have to kind of figure out which one's align best with your brand who's going to pay the most and most importantly you have to know your value so you have to understand that people will try to lowball you but you say no for me it's worth three thousand worth five thousand dollars to put you in one of my youtube shorts like that's how um, the game works
1: i have a couple of thoughts on that this this whole concept of know your value it's actually kind of triggering for me um but I would think, uh, I mean, yeah, in business, you really should, but I would think even more than that, you should, even more valuable than that is actually being able to give a lot of value, right? But like, that, that's, that's the first step is give a lot of value. Then it's know your value, right? Because if you don't give mm-hmm. any value, you, you you have no negotiation power, right? Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, just like, I don't know, I hear it all the time. And it's like, to me, it sounds like, oh, you got to like get max value all the time. But um, in my view, if someone came to me and lowballed me pretty hard from the beginning, I would think to myself, I don't want to do business with this person because they're going to just keep trying to screw me over because that's basically mm-hmm. what it is. Right. I mean, um, but I, I know in the real world, the way the world works, you definitely have to be kind of sharp because probably I find it more. Have you found this to be the case? Much more in po- than in poker, in entrepreneurship, people really are a bit more scandalous than uh, for some reason. I don't know what it is, but in poker, I just find that people aren't that scandalous.
0: Yeah, I, you know... At this point, I have, you know, an agent that kind of helps cipher through some of the BS. Uh, And I think that everyone that is a new entrepreneur is going to struggle with some of that. I do agree, especially because I don't know who is in charge of these like scammers and these people, these like fake brands that are trying to reach out. And and what they're trying to do is just like, you know, use your platform to promote just or just like these fake companies. So um, I think that thankfully with the team of really, really smart friends. Um, both of my friends, I can't speak highly enough about because they're extremely intelligent individuals. Um, one is an investment banker. The other one is a consultant at Bain, which is one of the top engineering firms in the country. Uh, I'm actually sure the only one of my group of three to take this full time um, because they just kind of have jobs they couldn't Pass up on in my job kind of like you were alluding to earlier i never found like the great engineering job right out of college even though i had a great degree good and good gpa all those things nothing was really coming um at least in the space that i was looking at something that excited me or interested me enough to want to take a full-time position
1: Hmm, it's interesting i mean it makes sense a lot of the jobs are pretty generic i would think um Okay. I mean, yeah, uh, there's a ton of bullshit out there. I know that for a fact. I mean, there's tons of people with shitty brands, with shitty products, all kinds of shit. Uh, Do you agree with what I said, by the way, about being able to provide value? Because I think like, I mean, do you find it easier to provide value or easier to, easier or harder to provide value or harder to know your worth? Because I think there are like two sides like the two opposite, like. I definitely
0: uh... think it's harder to provide value. And my dad talks about this all the time because I would tell him about all the deals that we get. And, and especially when the numbers started increasing, I was very excited to tell him about, you know, what I was bringing in. And my dad would bring that. Well, what are you giving to them? And, and the easiest answer was brand awareness. You know, we, we talk about a brand in a million viewed video, like that's brand awareness. But I you know the better metric for a lot of these companies is uh, actual like conversion. So, you know, you tell them to go to this uh, website and how many people actually click that link and how many people actually go and, and deep dive into what you're talking about. Uh, and that metric is highly important for estimating how much your video or your business is worth.
1: Yeah, I think like that's like, the hard thing to actually get is to actually close. I think is the word in sales um, to get people to a conversion rate, something along these lines. Um, and do you find this? Uh, I do want to talk a bit about poker, but I have more thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find it easier to pursue this Avenue than poker? Because I mean, yeah, I mean, you're a poker player, right? Like uh, how's uh, the actual poker grind going? And are you more natural of an entrepreneur or what?
0: Uh, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, even as a kid. Uh, I never knew I wanted to be a poker player until four years ago. Um, But I do find... Um, youtube to be more lucrative and in that ways i do find it a little more interesting because i understand how competitive the poker space is and although the poker youtube uh, space is starting to become more saturated i actually believe there's a lot left on the table and i believe that there is just an opening for a ginormous channel and when you get hundreds of thousands of views that's worth millions of dollars. And to make millions of dollars as a poker player, you're going to be playing the highest stakes in the world. I have to sit across the table from you and, and try to figure out what hand you have and beat you. And I know how long and how hard you study and all the experience that you have. And as someone who I feel like I've got more YouTube and marketing experience than other people that are trying this i feel like i have an edge in that sort um versus i'm still trying to figure out my edge in poker i'm still working on that i'm still working with my coach i'm still uh, i'm still very uh i lack experience in, in actually playing high stakes poker
1: yeah um poker's i don't know i feel like it feels like to me poker is fairly simple but a big part of where your money in poker will come from to be honest, it has a lot to do with market research and just finding like the soft spots in market. It's like a business uh, sort of skill set. I think it's sort of it's in the opposite direction as knowing what your worth is. Um, I mean, it's I mean they're similar. They're a bit related because you have to know that you're better than the field. But that's not that hard. What um what's difficult is to find like the soft spots in poker and just really hammer them home um and a lot of times this doesn't mean being like the best player ever it's almost like kind of bad to be the best player ever, unless you really stand out and like the payoffs of that are kind of strange um but yeah to make money in poker it's like almost better to not even like it's a weird it's a weird learning curve just because it's really good to be really good at it yes but at the same time it won't really make you money unless you really do find like a soft spot spot in the market um i would just think this is really relevant towards youtube because you have to figure out what your niche is which is sort of similar it's like effectively a soft spot but how does it align with you um Mm -hmm. it sounds like your niche basically was like what's your poker story next-gen poker it seems like you're a pretty good story storyteller too from what i can see is that accurate
0: that's very accurate. I feel like storytelling is like the number one reason that people are able to to build an audience because once you have people hooked on your story, well they're going to keep tuning in every week to to see how that story's progressed and especially someone like Rampage Booker who started playing one two at Boston Billiards and now playing the million dollar game of Hustler like that's a story that people want to tune into. Um so he's one of the guys who done a really good job at um being consistent by just posting every step of his journey along the way. Um but even with people that are success stories like him I still think there's a big opening in our niche for some really innovative content that I I don't think people have really put the time into and one of the things that I feel like the the gap has been created is that the best poker content creators kind of just kind of post like the similar style of videos over and over again when we're in a space where um, YouTube uh, outside the poker niche is doing some really interesting, like unique uh, thumbnails and storytelling methods that I'm going to bring into the poker space. And I feel like once I do that, then we'll be appealing to not just the 20,000 people that always watch, you know, these poker videos, but actually appealing to the 500, 600,000 people that ended up watching my first YouTube video I made on my Frankie C channel.
1: And oh, that'd be really cool. Yeah. If you find a way to actually appeal to a wider audience than whoever than whoever's just like the typical poker player that's like a really big deal because much of the content out there just appeals to the typical poker player it's like you have to know all the lingo and know what a three-bit is and you have to know what a check raise is and some ranges Mm -hmm. and all this stuff if you manage to do that uh, that would be fantastic um tough to do do you want to talk a bit about what you're thinking to do
0: yeah, I mean, just before I explain what I'm going to do, one of the the uh, important things as a YouTuber is the YouTubers know your audience. So I would say that might be one of the most important things. People like to say, you know, the YouTube algorithm, but replace that algorithm word with the word audience, because what people want to see, the YouTube's going to push. So um, an example of my video being a success was uh, I posted a video titled, if I lose this hand, I owe my opponent a date. And it wasn't the poker player that I was playing against that recognized me. He did recognize me. But it was actually his wife that was watching him play, who she was fangirling, like, oh, my gosh, like, I saw your video. Uh, I showed it to my daughter. You know, she loved it. Can you go on a date with her? I was like, okay, settle down. And and, uh, my (laughs) idea behind uh, this kind of – it's really, it does, it does dive into storytelling, but it was also just more about like, like idea creation and having like these big ideas that aren't just you're playing poker, but actually involving the poker community into doing really cool things. And the best way to get views is to make a video where People say, wow, I have to click on that. Like, I want to create videos where when you're scrolling through YouTube, it's like, what happened here? I have to know what happened here. And that's what I'm going to go for with every type of video that I'm doing. So um, my next video, I surprised a random subscriber and I bought him into the $10,000 WSOP made event. Mm-hmm. So oh, well, was telling nice, his yeah. story flying from Canada and uh, maybe this isn't the reason, maybe this is one of the reasons I'm not quite a millionaire yet because I spent all of June, playing 2-5 cash game. So I had people, you know, fall into my journey as I play 2-5 every single day with the goal. And it's really important telling a story to have a starting point and have an eventual ending point so people can uh, stay to the hmm. entire videos end because retention rate is such an important metric on YouTube. So, okay, yeah. the, the story is, okay, I'm trying to make $10,000. And if I make $10,000 playing 2-5, not some high stakes game, 2-5, uh, then I will pick one of my subscribers into... Uh, to play the main event and that just checks so many boxes. First off, you want to be a subscriber so you can be involved. Second, you want to watch my story to see if I hit that 10,000 goal and then all the mistakes and problems that come along the way. Like on day 9, I was down $3,000. Like that's what the story, you find the story once you start recording. You know, I didn't know what exactly was going to happen, but once I started losing $3,000 like in the first 8 days, I really hammered that home. I really hammered my emotion, you know, like how, you know, upset you were and you, like you figure out your story along the way so I think coming up with these titles these headliners that you're like wow I have to watch that and then once you start recording it you'll find your story and then post-production is just about piecing it together in a way that makes people watch to the very end
1: okay that makes quite a bit of sense for how to tell a story one thing you didn't really explain and you don't have to but you did I mean make the the point that is what would sell is making people have to click on it but didn't talk so much about what it is that you do to make people really want to click on something I mean you don't have to if got some secret uh YouTube information but I'm curious like what is this uh, secret stuff that uh, is making people click
0: it's just I, I think of those ideas every day uh it's not an actual secret but I don't have anything that's like crossing my mind right now but I just think that like especially with someone, um like you who has like this big badass poker presence there's a lot you could play into with that and and me kind of coming from a different approach someone's trying to like make a name for himself and build up I think there's a lot more that um I also can play into that character and and just it's not about it's more about like how you can package yourself and how you can market yourself it's not like a, a a secret but There is like this knowledge about YouTube that if you understand, then you can go viral no matter what. And I'm still looking for that knowledge. Um, I just hired someone um, who costs $500 an hour every single hour to take a look at my videos and titles from the next three upcoming videos. And he's going to give me, you know, what's wrong with all of them. And one example of this is I posted a video where I bought 10 dealers from my local card room into a tournament. I freewrote all of them. And then I did a last longer bet between them all. And the video, although I thought was great, didn't get many views. It got about a couple thousand on YouTube. And when I had this guy take a look at my channel, he explained to me right there, right there, he explained why my video didn't go viral. Because my title and my thumbnail didn't explain to my audience clearly enough what the video is about and if you're confusing your audience in the thumbnail and title they're not going to click the video so so really 80 percent of the views on youtube come down from your packaging and your marketing
1: yeah yeah i do know that um i mean you need to be ultra clear and also i mean yeah like a big part of people's communication in general is actually a lot of crossover i found someone who's uh, had to basically break down communication between people. A lot of, I mean, I still make tons of issues, have, have tons of issues because I wasn't like an expert at it, but there's a lot of crossover between that and, um, actually communicating with people. It's pretty e- easy for people to not be clear when, um, communicating and there's all sorts of problems that arise because of that. Um, just, just the one thing I, you reminded me of, but it makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah. And, uh, Sounds like you gave a bit of an example. I was about to ask you for one, Um, but how does that, uh, I guess that relates to you because you're an up and coming poker player and this is part of your packaging because uh, it is really generous of you to give away $10,000 if you're not like killing it. I mean, the more generous someone is, is more what they give in proportion to their net worth, not what they give. Well, I mean, it is that plus like, it's a mix of factors, but like, since you're trying to climb, um, and presumably aren't like super loaded, uh, to yeah, to give that away is quite nice of you.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I wasn't necessarily trying to be the nicest guy in the world. I was trying to tell an awesome YouTube story. Um, but part of the awesome story, which I think will be kind of a funny tweet that I'm going to package later, is that I didn't have that much money in my bank account at the time I gave the ticket away. I had to switch some funds around and then get it and then go. So, I mean, it wasn't... Well, that's I think that's like part of the fun part of the story Uh, and because and I feel comfortable doing that, although most of my friends told me it was a terrible idea uh, because I really believe in um, the creation of this YouTube channel and that it's going to be very successful. Um, Thankfully, I just had a $51,000 score in the main event, so actually paid over all that times five so um you know good things kind of happen. Hap, things happen for a reason i had this video idea i entered the main event last second and then ended up making this big cash and now i've got two really awesome youtube videos coming out where it'll be my uh one video where i buy the guy in and my next video will be kind of an hour documentary of my entire five day run
1: okay cool cool it sounds like uh you you've kind of figured out what you're doing is there like how did you um well, I have two questions. How did you go about, were you always a good storyteller? Because this is a skill that's actually quite a technical skill, but some people are much better at it than others, I've found. And this—it's people actually teach how, how to tell stories, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. And secondly, the question is, another question is, how did you figure out how to become an entrepreneur? Did you always have the skill set yourself? Or what are some things that you did to have this sort of mindset to just like trying to figure things out and make things work?
0: Yeah, it definitely comes from my parents. My mom was an entrepreneur. Uh, my dad, um, although he did real estate development, it was kind of his own company that he he worked with. He did everything on his own. So I feel like it comes from my parents. Um, I've always had a very strong mathematical background, but at the same time, kind of my skill that went undetected for my parents was my writing skill. I always was a great writer. I think that definitely dives into becoming a good storyteller. Um, because if you can write well, well, then you understand, you know how to establish the protagonist of the story, and then finish like a you know, uh, building up the point, and then the climax, and and really, what's I think one of the most forgotten things on YouTube is leaving your audience with something like asking for something more at the end of the video. I think most people, you know, they, they do a good job of the hook at the beginning, but they forget that, you know, you want to give your audience something at the very end that that hits their emotions in some way, whether it's emotional, whether it's funny, Um, it just needs to hit them. Maybe it's like, they feel like sad for you, but whatever it is, you need to, to leave them with something because that emotion will get them to come back the next video. And I definitely think that it's a skill that I've, just been working on developing um you say people that teach uh, stories i know because i've watched ted talks on storytelling i've watched oh, countless really? youtube videos on storytelling so it's really you have to be first off aware that that is a, a skill and then second you have to actively pursue gaining the knowledge to be a better storyteller
1: yeah yeah there's even some details you didn't mention about um storytelling that i learned uh as as, as i was pursuing it you really have to like I mean, I wouldn't consider myself an amazing storyteller, but I am a good writer, actually, which is weird. Um, I think I know why. Um, why? Why that that uh, disparity exists? Um, I wouldn't. You're probably better storyteller than me, from what I've seen in the the videos, for sure. So you've got some storytelling kind of hooks in there that really like make you want to watch more and see, like, oh, this, this moment changed uh, would change everything. Like, right yeah things like this that uh make it very make you think oh shit what's gonna happen damn it um but uh one thing uh, is to i know that you're supposed to relate things to the audience a little bit and also yeah focusing on the emotions is very important as well um people who are watching this may not appreciate these details but now storytelling is becoming more and more of a I think it's going to be more important in a lot of different fields just because, or even in everyday communication, just because it's really hard to stand out unless you're a good storyteller, if you're like meeting people. Um, and there's another thing you can like engage with humor. And there's a few, there's various different details. Uh, I looked into it a bit myself for various reasons, but really just for my interpersonal skills. Um, no, that's cool. I think uh, both of those are much more important these days with actually making scalable money. Just because um, most um, entrepreneurial jobs require a bit of both, and like I said, most things these it see it feels like a lot of things these days do require some kind of interpersonal skills, and to be able to story tell does exercise a lot of those interpersonal skills that are required for entrepreneurship which just requires to like you know at least go out and, f- and meet people or whatever I,
0: I think that storytelling, uh, it could be encompassing for a lot of like words that we hear all the time, like branding and promoting, you know, if you could, mm-hmm. you know, brand your, your company, well, it's kind of telling a story to the audience of why they should, you know, purchase your specific product. And I, and I really do like the poker niche, um, for a lot of reasons besides my love for the game, but this, um, one of the things there's a lot of money in the poker space, but there's a lot of people, uh, these like really rich companies who don't know how to market themselves and, and really brand themselves. And I feel feel like it's tough for any brand to really post an organic content that doesn't seem like they're just selling. Like, um, instead, they pass that that task on to people like me who really can tell a good story, and it feels more authentic coming from someone who's in it versus someone who's within the company. So that's why I feel like this niche is pretty awesome because there's these huge companies that do awesome things that are just begging for someone like me to come in and tell a good story about their brand.
1: That's kind of interesting. I would think that huge companies would be able to solve this problem. I mean, I think there must be many branding specialists, but it makes sense that branding and storytelling are very similar. I could see that. Uh, It seems kind of complicated though. I think branding is a far more complicated problem for all sorts of reasons. Um, Mm. I mean, like, you have to figure out what your niche is and how to communicate to the audience. Like, how the f*** do you do that? Uh, But I do think, um, well, why do you like poker so much as a narrative? Just because, is it just because the companies, there's lots of big companies that are trying to get into space and just don't know what the hell to do or what?
0: Well, my poker story just came from the actual love of the two cards that I dealt to me, and I remember being hooked from the very first time I ever played, and immediately researching it, trying to get better. And I like the mm-hmm. the personalities that I found right when I started, you know, Googling YouTube, and and I, Daniel Negrano, of course, is one of the first names that come to mind when I was like first like looking at those poker personalities. And I think a good attribute to kind of our conversation right now is telling a video that has 15 million views and not just a short form video, which is what I had 15 million views on, but a long form video. So uh, to give perspective on a a 15 million viewed video, like that's worth a lot of money. And that 15 million viewed video is Daniel Poker's best live reads. And and that just kind of like, kind of encompasses like all the different aspects that I think poker could like be. And, And people love the personalities that come along it. And just like there's you know, internet trolling, internet beef, internet, all these things like bring eyes and attention. I believe that poker, because it is a competitive game, there's a lot of intricacies between the people that could bring eyes and attention and marketing um, that I definitely see myself getting into later. But, you know, bottom line, like, why am I making poker related videos? Well, because... This has been something that I just currently love doing. And the fact that I love doing it, it's going to make me make better YouTube videos about it. And I also do see myself, you know, eventually branding out to to get outside the poker niche and kind of appeal to a larger audience. But at the same time, I do a big poker dreams myself. So um, we'll see kind of how far either YouTube takes me or poker takes me in and, and which direction I go. Well,
1: there's still potential to su- succeed, especially in the YouTube... Um... YouTube star sort of route. I mean poker there's still potential in poker cash games as well I think but I don't personally understand I'm actually going to look into this I'm going to find ways to look into this. Um, I don't personally understand um, how to ladder up from smaller stakes but I would I roughly estimate what the process would look like. Uh, it should be quite a bit harder but still feasible. Um, I'm surprised you like the personality so much. I think it depends on the personality. Uh, I do think Geno Granu and some of these star guys do have quite some good personalities. I think him specifically and Phil Helmuth actually does, even though he's got a lot of, um, you know, his poker skills questionable. Uh, he's got a lot <laughs> of other positive attributes, frankly. Um, I mean, I feel like that was a pun. That was an accidental pun, pun not intended. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, there's some, but I feel like, I don't know, I haven't been that impressed with the the poker personalities, frankly, if, if, if I'm honest. As of um, uh, I've met people in other kinds of fields where I was really impressed, actually. I mean, that's actually one of the reasons why I moved to Hollywood or moved to Los Angeles, because even though it gets such a bad reputation, there's lots of very impressive people that are fr- around this area um, that... I, I i didn't even have to really i didn't try because i do i would just inundate myself but i um yeah i realized uh yeah there's tons of basically really interesting people in this that that area i just want to tell a quick story
0: this. about the people sure. um that play poker and it's it's not nothing sure. to do with the people that are actually on tv right now that we know but um, my mom when i you know i I had this engineering consulting job. Went full time with NextGen Poker. There was a two three month window. Where my mom was assuming that I was, you know, reaching out to new engineering companies um, and, and like looking for an engineering job. But you know, I was just trying to do this full time, and I I did just for her sake. I sent out about hundred applications, and I didn't see a, get a single response back. But when I was playing a two five cash game at Aria the guy to my right who I just took up a couple conversation with was the CEO of a consulting firm, exactly for the type of job that I wanted. And he was playing a two, five cash game just for fun, but he was the CEO of a small consulting firm. And I was like, oh, okay." Like this is kind of what I talk about. Like, this is sweet. I'm talking to a CEO right now and I'm just playing a small stakes cash game.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, that absolutely happens all the time. I mean, it's, that's one of the cool things about poker is that it's, sort of this melding pot of all different kinds of people. It's it really is like a universal kind of connector where. Um can any well, first of all, like there's not so much nepotism at all in poker. It's like very it uh, equalizes quite fast in comparison to other fields, whereas like for example, politics, there's tons of nepotism. Um or a lot of businesses, there's tons of nepotism. But poker, there's not very little very, there's very little it's very um it's close to meritocratic in many ways um and yeah I mean you can pretty much sit next to anyone I mean much more so than in any other kind of uh industry I mean definitely the kinds of people that are interested in it can be very interesting I met uh I even met a bunch of like artists and stuff like that playing um and people that worked in all kinds of different fields Uh, I found that to be cool. It was like a pretty good way to socially meet people without like, you know, get it going to a club or something. I mean, I found it used to be really good too, but I'm sure
0: celebrities and rappers would love to play with, you know, a poker person like yourself and, you know, you just being, you know, a famous high stakes poker player, you know, I bet that can like just open doors to people that just want to come play poker with you too. I, I don't know if you've experienced that.
1: Uh, I have, yeah, uh, a decent amount, yeah, I-, I would say. I mean, especially when I was starting up or when I was beginning to become famous, like I played with, uh, well, I didn't play with Michael Phelps, but I, I met him, for example. I nice. met some other celebrities also. Um, but not really, I met Emmett Smith and I'm trying to think who else. Um, For sure met others. I don't think I've met anyone super, no, I mean depends i mean no one really the other people that were inspiring to be honest were more not usually the sub the the mainstream obvious celebrities but usually the people like right beneath uh in the middle or beneath them sort of yeah more like the ones that were working really hard Mm -hmm. uh not necessarily b or c tier but more like people that are less well known that had to like really hustle to get where they were and okay. aren't, don't necessarily have the biggest names. Usually the people who relied on names for some sort of superficial thing were not that impressive. But if they had to really cultivate it, then they were. That's my experience. Uh, but So it's always a bit of a mixed bag when you enter these circles. I find that an really,
0: entrepreneur too. I find yeah. that when you work with people that have really built up their own companies, they have the most interesting personalities and stories.
1: Oh, yeah, I've met quite a few of them. I found the entrepreneurs to be quite cool. Um, I do think there's a decent amount of entrepreneurship in poker, but frankly, a lot of the poker players, and I'm trying to change this, have a bit too, um, too what's the word? Like too rigid of a view on poker. For example, they'll have this idea of applying logic to like making the best play and they'll study the shit out of these sims the uh, or not actually they, they they'll study like the basic sizings or whatever and just never you know think to themselves okay well you know you have to do something extra to get the value um and so kind of stay in this box a decent amount I think a lot of this is happening but uh it's a double-edged sword because on one hand I want uh one of the reasons I made this podcast was to expand on it uh which I think you've basically done by becoming an entrepreneur by the way um but at the same time If people do expand on it, they would necessarily eventually become better poker players because this is exactly one of the flaws with many poker players is that they kind of sit too much in their little box and don't really push things beyond like becoming reasonable at certain things like pre-flop and post-flop, et cetera, Um, because all the value has got to be almost by definition uh, somewhere else, like being reasonable only takes you so far or being being reasonable and being safe are pretty closely related if Mm -hmm. that makes sense but the risk and the reward also has to be somewhere else um out there
0: as one of the best poker players um in the world do you find that uh, one of the advice that i've been given a lot by very successful people and been actually lucky enough to sit down with dinners with billionaires, and they've told me, "Frankie, you have to you have to focus on one thing." And they and I've never liked that advice, but they've told me, and in regards to the YouTube channels that I own, two different YouTube channels, I'm also trying to be a really good poker player as someone that is a really good poker player, and also are doing the podcast and and the other things they are trying to build and establish. Um, what do you think about the advice where you have to focus on one thing or oh, Frankie, you have to focus on just being a YouTuber just being as good a poker player as possible?
1: Um, I think it's a bit, well, I think they're mostly right, but I think it's a bit uh, what's the word? There's some nuance to it. um for example, this is actually a good question. I've thought about this a lot. For example, uh, I you know, I go to the gym every day. Um, do should I now only focus on going at the to the fucking gym and getting in good shape? But no, because this would only take like a couple hours of my day, or whatever. But what I should do is I should. I mean, I mean, you can break this stuff, this logic down further and say, like, well, what about like walking to the gym? Is this, isn't this like something? Should I only focus on f-ing getting to the gym? Like, no, no. <laughs> like it's more complicated. Even within the gym, there's a million different things that you do, right? So this this logic. On the whole you can see that there's some issue here and this logic at the whole um is 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 actually pretty good i would say it's like probably very good if we're going to oversimplify it probably perfect because if you have too many complicated tasks then it becomes and i've experiencing this problem quite a bit you it uh, becomes a situation where you kind of overload yourself especially when you're like trying to learn um, mm-hmm. and you overcomplexify your situation. Uh, and that, that, absolutely will like hold you back. I think it's definitely made my, my life complicated, but my goals are a little bit complicated also. So there's that. Um, but if all you're doing is trying to make money, then basically pick like one, I would think firstly, you would have to pick one thing to the point where it becomes not so complicated for you and then you'd add on to something else. So probably what I would guess, but I I, I would take my advice with a grain of salt is you would focus on YouTube until you became really good at it. And then you'd focus on uh, poker in like some kind of extreme way is what mm-hmm. I would think. At least if those were possible options, because sometimes there's not possible options too. Um, That's what I would think. But uh, I would look at it a little bit with a bit more nuance and say, okay, well, you can't let your poker game go completely, right? You can't let your health go completely. So you'd like put in a certain amount of effort where it doesn't overwhelm you in those categories and then focus all the other effort in a, in somewhere else. Um, I'm trying to think of a good analogy for this, but you put like, you know, you put just enough effort in these other uh, categories so that they don't fall too much um, and all the rest somewhere else, uh, be like, something like a pro I don't know I don't I can't think of the quite an out of an analogy but I can think of video games where this makes sense well I think that you gave a great answer
0: I think you gave a great answer to it and I I do believe kind of on the on the fact where I I don't accept the answer of doing one thing is the fact that you know being a awesome super good poker player well known as a very strong player I believe that's going to get more YouTube attention I mean you know, if Jungleman does something, I think that people are going to want to watch just because they know you're a great poker player. And if Frankie C does something, well, I really have to get their attention with something that's going to be, they have to click on it because I'm not that well-established poker profile personality uh, just quite yet. And one of the things that I think that you should do is I think that I want to see like videos of you just, you know, giving your honest feedback on some of the most viral hands that you've played. I mean, I've seen you and okay. your... your um, hitting quads in your chariot, your Greek outfit. Like I want to hear, <laughs> you know, you talk about that hand. And I think that's a very viable video right there. So I think you should be adding that into your YouTube game as well.
1: You know, what's really funny is someone was like, off telling me I need to do this just for like their other website, which I'm supporting to Run Once, uh, precisely to give like some kind of feedback on some hand. So I need to do that. Then uh, kind of bad at doing, I should do that more. Um I do think yeah, I feel like people just fall into these these um from what I can see people fall into some stereotypes really a lot. Uh they don't think of themselves enough, I guess you could say. So there's that. So um yeah, uh thank you for that insight. I I'll do that more. I, yeah, I was I going to it. start, but actually um I remember the reason why I didn't do that. I keep like changing my strategy a lot, Uh, but it's, I think it's smart actually, even though it doesn't look smart, it just looks really stupid, but it's uh, I think it's sound. Um, One thing about this idea of making money is that many different focuses don't actually make much money and it makes sense to refocus if that's, what's important for your optimization towards the thing that does make money, for example, um, we'll say this isn't the case for you, but if the example was to make content or let's just say, hypothetically, you know, you found that it wasn't very easy for you to like make much more money from branding, but all of a sudden there became an opportunity that you can make a shitload of money from poker, then it would make more sense for to switch from the strategy of focusing on whatever YouTube stuff and then focus on the poker stuff and then just keep the YouTube channel like floating a little bit to, like, Mm -hmm. offside your focus somewhat. But that would make a lot of sense, right?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of
1: sense. imagine if, like, some soft game popped up. And this is realistic. This happens, by the way. And it just popped up for, like, a month. Uh, For example, World Series. And this happens for me all the time. And I just, like, forget about everything else and then go to World Series. um, I just, like, kind of put everything on autoplay a little bit. And uh, yeah, and if you can make like, I don't know, like hundreds of thousands of dollars in this month, or whatever amount means a lot to you, then it makes sense to do such things. So this idea of picking one focus, I think it's like, slightly imperfect, but like, I don't have as much money as billionaires. So um, yeah, it would make a lot, it it would be, let's let's give another analogy. (laughs) Their analogy would be to like, play the soft game for a really long time like presuming you'd found it and in poker, what I would be giving would be like, okay, well, the soft game doesn't necessarily exist. So you have to keep switching it. And if you have other priorities, you want to keep switching it too.
0: Yeah. And as someone who has, you know, Uh, All these mixed games, and this is similar to what we're talking about, focusing on one And a question that I really wanted to talk to you about. uh, As you have to, you know, study and, and, you know, um, manage your time playing different mixed games and and making sure your skill is optimal in each of these as you play a tournament like the PPC, where you have to play every single one to the best of your ability every time it's your turn, um, how does focusing on one thing change in, in your world?
1: Um, okay, so that's a good question. Um. In the PPC, the PPC is a bit of an exception. But I will say if you're trying to learn all the different games, you should focus on learning one game at a time, because learning them all, while playing each of them, you know, eight times, you know, the cycling through eight times in a row, it requires much more discipline than focusing on one if you can, for mm-hmm. sure. And it requires... It's a bit harder because you can't as um, naturally pick up patterns as you would if you played one game. Whereas if you effectively become like a specialist in each of the games, um, you no longer have these issues. Um, And another thing is that the state of some of these games doesn't really change. So if you become pretty good at them, especially the limit games, it's not like you have to keep studying. As long as you remember the information, you... um, like, you're just kind of beating people for a long time. Like, people don't really get better at, like, limit deuce to seven, for example. They don't get better at RAS. Not really. They don't get better at Badoogie. They actually have fucking sucked at Badoogie for a really long time. And they still suck, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, They don't get better at... I mean, they actually have gotten better at single draw specifically, I would say. It's kind of strange. Um, They've gotten better at no limit. They've gotten better at PLO. Um, But the mixed game players typically improve at a slower rate precisely for the reason that they don't like focus on the games individually or like bother actually, you know, looking at what the the science says versus the, um, you know, whatever their intuition says. I mean, I've seen the same stupid mistakes over and over, basically. So actually, a lot of what I do, frankly, is just capitalizing over the same fucking mistakes over and over. Um, And I generally don't study and when i do it's when i see that i need to and then i apply myself when i it's more like i'm very aware of if i'm missing something or not which i think a lot of poker players lack
0: so uh, do you have those a favorite, things favorite game where too. you just huh? do you have a favorite game where you just have you know um your knowledge where you kind of feel like you know i'm just crushing this game i don't need to study that kind of like you you just understand that discipline more than the field right now Is there any game that that stands out?
1: Yeah, there are two games, and they're probably not what you expect. The first one's Badugi. Um, Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, It's basically, there's a really high uh, barrier point. What's the word? Really high wall to um, becoming good at that game. A really high point uh, barrier to becoming really good at mixed games, actually, I'd say. Um, But it's possible. It's just tough. And requires some luck, probably. The second one is short deck, deep short deck cash games. This game's I, I found to be one of the most challenging to become very good at. Deep hmm. short shallow is very is for the most part simple. Um, there are a couple weird things about it, but there's not much edge shallow. Deep, however, there is quite an edge in um, cash games short deck, and the barrier is very high because there's so much like subtle nuance in those games. It's just very easy to fuck up in some kind of way, uh, but the problem again, and it's a bit related, is that there's just not that much action in deep, uh, deep uh, short deck cash games. That probably I should be, you know, if I found like a deep cash game that was even like fifty Annie, I should probably drop whatever the I'm doing and just play that if I could like four table that because I would, I would probably make like something like ten k an hour. Um, <laughs> I, I made I made like a million. In one week, playing multi tabling fifty k ante, or fifty dollars, wow. fifty dollar ante, or hundred dollar. I think it was fifty dollar ante. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, eh, I don't know if it's as easy these days. Maybe it ran super hot. I don't know. Five thousand dollar buying.
0: That's crazy. No, that's really really good. And I feel like yeah, if you if you find that kind of like we were talking about earlier, if you find that game where you just have the huge edge, just play as much as you can, and, and make your million.
1: Yeah, uh that uh that is what I advise for the people that I teach, more so than becoming like extremely good at nulament. No but if you do become extremely good at element no you'll absolutely crush, of course. It's just like the problem is that people it's just not that easy, basically, uh, for a couple of reasons. It's just too milked too hard and there's too many people playing um somewhat solid. You need to find the niche situations. So what are you playing anyway?
0: I'm playing almost exclusively no limit hold'em. Besides the, uh, the past eight months to a year, I've been very interested in some mixed games like eight game mixed uh, cash games, and I hosted one, and I would get the players that would be the perfect people to play with. with um, and besides just uh, playing some like twenty forty or forty eighty of just. Um, some Doogie, and then then mixing in some kind of more of the more I guess gambling ones. Um, uh, what they do, uh, it's Super Raz or like or some other Texas style games, where you know you don't have those games in the World Series like the Raz Doocy and some of the other ones no. um, that that I do enjoy playing. But honestly, uh, besides this little six month stint that I went into, it's almost exclusively no limit, uh, and I kind of like I took the advice from the billionaire Where I was like, okay, you know, right now I've got this YouTube thing that I'm trying to focus on and and I'm also playing no limit and trying to get better at that. I got one coach and I was like, let me stick to this, get really good at it. And then I can kind of um, adjust and start focusing more on the mixed games because I do find that in my career, that's going to be a big focus at some point, but right now it it hasn't been.
1: Okay. Uh, Okay, cool. I mean, it sounds like you have any potential, a lot of potential for stories also. So yeah, that's, that's cool. Uh, so you're playing like forty, eighty. That's like um, like ten, twenty. You uh, ten, twenty. No limit. Are you playing yeah, ten, twenty, uh, no limit online?
0: Um, no, I'm almost exclusive play in person. Um, between the stakes of two, five, ten, twenty. Um, somewhere in between that range.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it seems like you have potential for like, that's like kind of getting to the point where you can. Getting some good spots. I I don't know what the, the cash game streets really look like in like the lower stakes games. But maybe there's some really good situations uh kind of hump uh fumbling around. Uh well, that's what I actually want to explore. Huh? I
0: actually was really interested when you brought up, you know, kind of how or you were interested in how people, you know, go up the stakes in the, in a cash game, like how people rise up from two five and ten twenty, and and my first answer to that was, well, you kind of have to, I guess, have what you believe is the minimum uh, amount of money. Um, your bankroll for each game before you're, you're happy to move up and, and the question that I really have for you as being someone who's so uh, involved in like the high stakes poker community um, is how is like the staking aspect uh, like in the poker world between the low stakes mid stakes and up to the highest stakes uh, how do you think that is currently are most of the players being staked at the highest stakes uh, if you have anything to elaborate at, at, about that
1: uh, I think most people, uh, a decent amount of people, I think a decent amount of people are staked or they sell some pieces. It makes sense too, because they're quite illiquid, the highest stakes. You don't want to like lose a huge amount and then move down. I mean, it's really mixed bag. Like online, I don't think people really are to it, are selling much. But uh, if this the games are liquid, I should say, they're not selling much. Uh, they personally don't advise having 100% in a lot of games. Variance is usually higher than what people expect.
0: And then at the mid-stakes level, too, do you feel like that's a pretty viable strategy for trying to go up the, the ladder? It's, it's a little different for me because I'm happy to sell action just for good content. So for me, I'll play a 2550, I'll play a 51 just so I could get the YouTube video out of it and I'll sell action. But I'm wondering for more of the you know, the mid-stakes grinders who want to take the shots. Um, how much uh, staking is going on in that in that world?
1: um so here's what i think i think it's kind of simple if there's a lot of liquidity generally speaking you do not want to be selling action and generally speaking it's not really a good sign if if you are i mean there are exceptions of course um but if if it's like an exceptional situation in that like you're not always playing those stakes or if um you know the game is soft uh then you want to then it makes sense to start selling action, especially if it's like quite exorbitant and not very frequent. Um, There's really only a number, a limited number of situations that should be otherwise. But basically, I I don't advise people to stake people at stakes that are very liquid. Um, I I wouldn't, I mean, I think it's a bad business proposition. If like, if that, uh, let's put it like this. Like, for example, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to stake someone at like, 5100 if the games at 5100 are tougher than you know the games at 2550 because they can just play 2550 or 1020 or whatever right because like why why do that um or stakes a player that's like trying to play 100 200 unless they like legit lost their whole money like why would why would they need the staking for that like they could just grind it up if they can't grind it up then they're not going to beat 100 200 right mm-hmm. but if there's a soft game or like the games are just huge or whatever compared to what the role is. And it's like somewhat reasonable and sure it, but it has to be, it basically has to be um, an issue of liquidity and how soft it is.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And um, I know it's slightly different, but in the high stakes tournament element, um, I would imagine and and I have, you know, Starly slowly building my connections with some of the best high stakes players in the world. It seems like there's a whole business in the markup and the selling and in, in the staking um, where, you know, people start to play the highest 25Ks, 50Ks, um, sell at some markup and, and um, really not take too much risk to play the highest games.
1: Um, you can do that. Yeah. I mean, if you really want to, I don't believe in, um, not taking much risk though. I don't like to, even as someone who's like a little bit too trusting, I no longer give out deals where the other person doesn't put up much risk. I don't think that's a good idea for business because, um, it's just too easy to like, be like, it, I don't care kind of yeah. thing. Whereas if someone has their own, a lot of people just don't give a f- and they can say whatever people say a lot of shit. And, um, I mean, it, I just think it's important to like have some stake in the game and really in a lot of business situations, I think this is an issue too, is that a lot of people have effectively like kind of cheated the system and like taken out their own personal stake. I just don't believe in this, uh, kind of way of dealing with things.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I really resonate with needing both parties to feel at risk that that seems logical
1: yeah well it's fair also i mean really the bottom line is like what's fair i mean it goes back to this negotiation example uh you know a negotiation shouldn't be in my opinion you know one person trying to angle the other out of like more value this is like basically an angle shot right it should be this is what i think is fair what do you think is fair and then if you do that with people then you know there are no more problems that arise it's just you know that this is the relationship now it's fair um but if, like someone's constantly trying to angle you in like business or like someone's like angling in the first place they're gonna just keep practicing that pattern and keep doing it well what are your plans for the future uh content wise i'm huh?
0: currently look, looking over 160 applications for new video editors um so for me it's just trying to post as many high quality videos as possible um consistency on youtube's uh one of the things they like to see a lot of of videos uh quite often at the same time i i am playing a lot of poker and trying to get better in the game itself i'm trying to build my bankroll in cash and and i think that being a better poker player is going to help my content so um it's definitely a catch 22 um and I really right now just want to be the biggest poker YouTuber like and, and I shouldn't even say the word poker I want to be the biggest YouTuber like that's my goal like that's where Frankie C is trying to reach um and I just think that that the answer to that because I believe I have the personality, I believe that I have the storytelling, I believe that I have the entrepreneur vision. For me, I think it's just the knowledge uh, that I haven't received yet in things like packaging, uh, presenting the ideas on the thumbnails and titles. That's just knowledge that I haven't learned yet. And, and for me, it's just, it's never ending uh, working towards gaining that knowledge, reading the books, watching the videos. And I think at some point, I'm 23 years old right now, I think at some point it's going to click here in the very... Near future, where I think I'm just going to mm-hmm. skyrocket and just take over.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, from what I've seen, you seem to have those things. Um, uh, I mean, 23, you got a lot of time ahead of you, too. I mean, it's not like you're playing, doing a lot better than most 23 year olds, it's for sure. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you seem to be more knowledgeable than a lot of people, even doing YouTube videos. Um, more knowledgeable than me, in fact. Uh, and I think, uh, the YouTube and poker stuff can, can, um, can. I would think that it's sort of a what's the word that it does. That does align a bit as well, because if you like travel somewhere and play some tournament or whatever, travel to like in Taiwan or whatever, or Mexico. Exactly. And like make a video, like probably people want to see if you do it right. Um, I found it to be challenging, but I think there's been still there in Barcelona. What about that? Go to Barcelona exactly. record some poker. Duh. Barcelona is yeah. cool.
0: I already um, got I already got a little ten twenty or a five ten cash game. Um and, and that's what I'm working towards right now because I as myself I'm a good editor. But with all the things that are going on in my life right now, all my goals, like I need someone to take that responsibility from me. Uh, I can't put mm-hmm. 40 hours into a video. That's a full work schedule. You know, I can't do that. And I want to post videos everywhere I go. I'm going to eight countries in the next four weeks. So um that's what I want to make videos on. I don't think anyone's that's out here making videos in Barcelona, no one's making videos in Taiwan, no one's making videos in Korea. Um, this type mm-hmm. of thing that I could do that's different than most people because I'm just fully into it. And I think that I could post content where no one's ever been and that's where i feel like i'm gonna gain my edge i just need somebody who is understanding of storytelling to become my editor because i fired four people in the past six months and and they have to be able to give me the videos with a a reasonable time
1: okay yeah i mean uh that's um, seems like there's a lot of potential there anyway yeah i'm looking forward to your success anything else you'd like to add uh before we get off
0: Yeah, I just have one question for you. um, And I wrote this one down. Are there any points in your career that you doubted yourself? And how did you get through it?
1: All the time. (laughs) Really? Um, Well, here's how I look at that. Um, I mean, doubts are, you know, necessarily one of these like things that, I mean, no matter in this case, we can actually um, put doubts in sort of a box of like, whether you're good enough or not. And at the other side of success, like, it's kind of like in this specific case, especially they are in fact, like you can say they're essentially like a limitation, whether there's truth in them or not, because in the long run, there's not truth. The long run, meaning like if your life extended forever, they're simply temporary, right? Because like the more effort you apply, um, the more likely you'll find something, some kind of edge to get past them, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so there is that, I mean, obviously the risk of like like ruin, et cetera, is real. You just, I mean, you have to stay away from that, uh, how I dealt with that. Um, I eventually realized that, uh, I've been realizing that now lately as I struggle with things that are a bit bigger than poker risk and I've been having issues, uh, that at least in my mind seem more insurmountable, uh, I, I, I The way to actually practically deal with them is uh, to defocus a little bit, to do something that's a little bit more relaxing, um, that helps some not to do it too much because then you don't face it. If the Basically, you want to make sure that your stress level is not so high that you become dysfunctional, mm-hmm. um, in which case that's when comfort becomes a good thing because usually there's many different paths that you're taking and that often some paths will go much better than others just because of whatever reasons. So you focus on those ones and not put as much energy into the ones unless there's like immense, um, upside to the ones that aren't moving very far. Uh, so I, I put it like, I would say it like that. It's a mix of all those things. So that's the, I give you the theoretical perspective, which is the doubts themselves are essentially limiting beliefs or essentially limited or temporary, whatever, however you want to look at them, um, whether you can do it or not, because Let's put that another way is that whether you do it or you cannot, the more that you believe that you can do something, the more you can actually do it. Right. So it almost like makes sense to not even think about that too much, whether you can do it or not, because it's kind of a waste of time and just simply like keep being in the, in the, uh, state of trying to, trying to complete your goal. Um, that would probably be the most Zen answer. And then on the practical side, I gave some like, some like tools to actually deal with those emotions.
0: I like that answer Is that a good lot? answer? Yeah, I like that answer a lot. Okay. <laughs> thank you.
1: <laughs> All right, cool. Um, well, it's great talking to you and great exploring your world. Uh, best of luck and hope to see you soon.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Do for you having want to me. promote
1: anything, your channel? Yeah, go check out Next Gym Poker.
0: Uh, Check out Frankie C on YouTube. I got some really awesome, high-quality videos coming out. I'm sure you'll be entertained, and I promise you that if you subscribe, you have a good chance of being featured or maybe even winning something in the future. So make sure to subscribe, and, and thank you so much for having me on. I had a great time talking to you.